Hello and welcome to the Sail Loot Podcast, where we share our adventures of the sea and help to achieve that cruising life that sets us free. I'm Teddy J, and this is podcast episode number two with Jamie and Bean from Totem. This is Teddy, and I just want to say thank you very much for listening. I got some great feedback from the first interview on the Sail Loot podcast with Brian and Karen from Delos. It's the support from our listeners that keeps us inspired to go and find more cruisers that want to share their amazing experiences with the world. So I thank you guys very much for listening, and uh, thank you very much for giving us all the feedback that you've given us. Today, I'm really excited to share an interview with Jamie and Bean from Totem. Of course, they are amazing, kind-hearted people who want to share some of their stories about sailing and cruising with their family and inspire people to set a date, get out there, and start following their dreams. They have a great understanding of sailing and the cruising lifestyle, and I want to thank them for taking some time out of their morning to chat with me and share their knowledge with all of us. Of course, you can find all of the links to everything mentioned in this episode of the Sail Loot Podcast at sailloot.com forward slash episode 002. You can find Bean and the Totem Cruise blog at sailingtotem.com. You can read some of their stories in the regular column that they have in the 48 Degrees North Sailing magazine. The website for the magazine is 48north.com. You can also follow the Totem family on sailfeed.com. They get a little beer money if you read their stories on sailfeed. They have been cruising for six years and have sailed down the west coast of the United States to Mexico, across the South Pacific to Australia, and up the east coast of Australia to Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, and Southeast Asia. I don't want to delay too much, but I feel like I should explain a few things about the Sail Loot podcast. As far as intro music, sound quality, and my interviewing skills are concerned, the podcast is ever-changing and hopefully improving along the way. I'm trying to talk to people in the cruising community, and they will sometimes be halfway around the world with limited ability to communicate, but still doing their best to share their stories with us. Hopefully, everybody understands that we're going to have to deal with some limited internet experiences, and not everybody carries around an expensive condenser or dynamic microphone to do podcasts with. That being said, Bean and Jamie sound fantastic in this episode of the Sail Loot Podcast. I did have to edit out a few seconds uh, because I couldn't hear them for a few seconds. But Bean quickly started her answer over and hopefully nobody will ever know. Other than the fact that I guess I just told you, of course. But hey. Uh, There are also some times in the interview that it sounds like a duck is quacking. Uh, For some reason, it only happens when I am the one talking. A few of those noises happen when I 
wasn't talking and I took those out, but there were others that I just couldn't get rid of because it was right in the middle of a word that I was saying. Uh, it only happens a few times, and only in the first about one-third of the interview. I hope it doesn't upset your ears too much, and I hope it doesn't stop you from listening to Jamie and Vivian's stories. Um, okay, it's time for the interview. Let's get this thing rolling. All right, welcome. First of all, I just want to say uh, thank you very, very, very much for uh, joining me today. Today, uh, I have... Uh, Jamie and Bian Gifford on the line. Uh, are, are any of your other kids there with you? You have anything? Anybody else from Totem there with you? They're they're actually uh, still on board Totem this morning. We've uh, migrated up to the marina office with better Wi-Fi connection for the Skype call. Okay, great. I want to say thank you very much. You guys are absolutely amazing, and I I just love uh, having these conversations. Um, I, I you know I found you at sailingtotem.com, and I've read a lot of your stories and seen a lot of your things on Facebook, and and you guys are very inspiring, and it's just great. And I would just want to say thank you very, very, very much for taking the time out of your morning, uh, my evening here, uh, in order to uh, talk with me for a little bit today. Oh, so much appreciated, Teddy. Thank you. And I'm, I'm really glad that um, you've enjoyed uh, checking out our blog and Facebook. We truly appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fantastic. And uh, everything you've done and taking your family uh, along with you is, is, just, is just great. So, um, we'll go ahead and get sort of started here. Um, we'll start sort of just by saying that, uh, you've been on the sailing podcast before, um, and David Anderson does the sailing podcast and, uh, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and he is, he is great. What he's doing is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I actually love the sailing podcast. I've gone and listened to a lot of the stories. Uh, I want to twist it up a little bit here. Uh, we're going to focus a little bit more, um, on the cruising kitty and what you guys did in order to, uh, scale down, get on totem and, uh, travel the world. Um, but, First, can you kind of just give us a brief overview of how you guys started and why you decided to go ahead and go cruising? Oh, sure. It was something that was always out there in the future for us. Jamie and I met sailing, and within about a week of meeting him, he'd given me his copy of Robin Lee Graham's book about circumnavigating as a teen and put Slocum on, on my book list as well. So this is something we were always going to do. I wanted nothing more than to be on boats, and neither did he. But my context and his mostly at that point was racing. So going cruising felt very amorphous and very much out in the someday. Um, that we would probably do more as empty nesters or retirees. And then we had this year when our second child was born and we lost Jamie's mother way too young to cancer. And we just thought, what are we doing? What, you know, what are we doing with our lives and what do we really want and what's going to make us happy um, to be together as a family and to be out on boats were the things that came together. Um, so cruising went from being something we'll do someday to a five-year plan. And at that point, we really focused ourselves on gearing up to go. It ended up taking six years, but we, we did. We took off in 2008, and it's been an amazing adventure. So you say that it, it took you six years. Uh, where were you? Where did you start out? Up up in Washington somewhere, I believe, correct? That's right. We started in uh, Bainbridge Island, Washington, and uh, 
we uh, bought a boat that same year, uh, a family cruising boat, our transition away from racing and into uh, family sailing. And we spent a lot of time on it and uh, had great experiences. Uh, that's fantastic. Just uh, Were you just getting the kids ready to be on a boat and things like that? I think we're getting us all ready because sailing is um, – I could do easily. Bian could do easily from, from racing. We sail very well. But a cruising boat is a very different – beast uh there are so many systems on them and and we all try to keep them simple or at least talk of it but in reality um things creep aboard and they all require maintenance and then there's family dynamics that come into it and and it could have been a a a foray into um a test that failed because if if the kids didn't like it or if the dynamic was too difficult we would have we would have chosen something else and not gone but uh, we were lucky in that it all worked out yeah, that's great. Actually, I'm glad it all worked out for you. It, it seems like it's uh, gone well. Um, so you say it also took you six years. Um, kind of start from maybe the beginning of that. Where were you when you first said, uh, hey, we need to do this? Uh, you got this cruising boat. Um, you know, What did you do to prepare yourselves over those five or six years, including, you know, obviously you got this boat and you tried to make sure everything everybody was all right sailing but what did you do to prepare in those six years well i i remember the exact moment of epiphany and we were actually on the boat we'd gotten it knowing we were going to get back into sailing but not having quite coalesced on we're going cruising in five years and we were sitting in the cockpit we were anchored in this beautiful little spot called port madison um, at the north end of bainbridge island watching eagles swooping over the water. And it was just, it was just beautiful. We realized that the kind of crazy lives that we were leading um, as a kind of double career couple with a whole lot going on and very few moments of peace as a family needed to change. And so that's when the five-year plan started. Now a sort of third child got kind of snuck in there and, and that uh, contributed to the extension. But, um, but organizing ourselves mostly had to do with um, both um, getting our kids to a point uh, where we felt comfortable having them on board for voyaging for long passages. I really didn't, I didn't want to be cruising uh, with babies. Um, people would do that and they do an awesome job. But I, I think that's really, that was more than I wanted to take on. And so we thought when our youngest was about five, would be a good time to go. And since we were in the cockpit with a newborn at that time, okay. that drove the timing. And then it, it was not a, a matter of a specific financial plan as much as it was trying to immediately shift our life into being as frugal as we could and socking everything away with the idea that this was our future cruising kitty. Gotcha. So uh, what did you do? You, you mentioned that um, I think you had a you had or sold a house or moved out of the city and moved somewhere else or, or something like that. Can you explain all of that a little bit and how you, how you, uh, sure. Yeah, sure. We, we, we had a house in, uh, in Seattle and it was a, it was a real fixer upper and we spent six years doing just that, uh, working blood, sweat and tears, the rest of it. And, um, and we got to the point with the house where it was, near to done and but we also our, our our interest in the in the area changed and so we said uh let's sell the house let's go somewhere else and we moved to bainbridge island at that time okay and it was it was the energy around sailing there that 
was a big part of it. I mean, in Seattle, we had to drive all the way across town and there is no direct route, you know, so inevitably four o'clock, five o'clock on a Friday, it would take, you know, an hour easy to get to the boat so that we could start our weekend. Um, in Bainbridge, you know, we could practically walk to the marina to get to the boat. And we'd met so many people there who were circumnavigators or long distance cruisers. And it was just a total shift around uh, being more connected to the water as opposed to the urban environment. Right. And it, and it was inspiring in that environment. And um, our original intent with the, the, the Bainbridge Island house was to uh, sell it before we uh, cast off. But um, our timing was a little bit uh, off with the global financial crisis. And as that was looming and economies were changing as uh, 2007 into 2008, we, we realized that we could either sell the house at, uh, at a little bit of a loss um, or we could just try and hold on to it. And um, so we, we chose to hold on. It was a good decision, but it was also very difficult because for – uh, the first four years of cruising, that was our largest expense in the year, was that the rental income covered the mortgage, but not taxes and insurance. And so it was a, it was a big hit each year. Right. Every month, our, our highest area of expense always was that deficit uh, between uh, what it cost to have the house and, and what we were getting from it for rent. So did you eventually sell the house? Or no, we still have it. But, yeah, okay. you know. <laughs> and and it's it's turned around. You know, the economy um, improving has meant that we could um, increase the rent, um, and we've been able to also keep our mortgage low. And now we've got a differential that is a meaningful part of what we live on, uh, based on income from the house. Well, that that's great. That's great that it's actually providing you a little income uh, right now. I know all about that, by the way. I deal with that a little bit myself. So, all right. <laughs> um, well, great. So your initial decision to wait five years was really uh, a lot due to the fact that you wanted to wait um, for. All right, what's your youngest child's name? Siobhan. Siobhan. Okay, I'm gonna need help with some of the pronunciation of this. <laughs> no <I> problem. <laughs> um, and so you were basically waiting until Siobhan was, you know, five years old and wasn't an infant on the boat. Uh, and just preparing along the way, like that was your five-year set plan. Uh, was pretty much it was it was a relatively casual five-year plan in some sense because we didn't have a strict financial plan. It really was kind of about growing the kids and growing ourselves mm -hmm. uh, with understanding, as Jamie said, all of the systems of a cruising boat. I mean, we really looked at that first boat as a practice because the boats that we used to race didn't have solar panels and wind turbines and refrigeration and all of that stuff that are part and parcel of every day on a cruising boat. Um, and, uh, and at the time we didn't even know we were going to have Siobhan. Actually, we thought we were only uh, going to have two kids and um, she was a, an amazing gift. And, and so um, it, as it turns out, when she had just turned four years old was when we left. So uh, we broke our own rule, but it was the right time. And, um, and she was she was an easy toddler, and it was it was a good time to go. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fantastic. Um, I read a little bit about you guys doing PowerPoint stuff. Can I, I just ask you guys real quick what 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 are your jobs? What are your professions, or what were your professions? I should say. <laughs> sure, um, I'll start, and then I'll let Jamie jump in. 
Um, my background professionally is working mostly in digital media. Uh, I'd spent the years before we went cruising at an online advertising firm at kind of the front edge of uh, advertising online uh, being even a business to, to enter. And a really exciting place to be and something I really enjoyed that that brought a lot of things together for me, but, uh, but difficult too, because as a, as a parent, I wanted to spend more time with my kids. And instead I spent a lot of time on the road and, uh, Jamie and I were both very busy with our jobs and it was sort of, you know, fly by nights at dinner and stuff. But, but that's not as interesting as what Jamie was doing. Well, I had the boring stuff. I, I was, uh, I was a sale maker and sale designer for a number of years in, uh, in new England. <clears throat> and, uh, and great opportunity to sail on uh, everything from little racing boats up to, to mega yachts. And so terrific experience and very relevant to what we're doing now. Um, but it, it, didn't, uh, it didn't bring in much money, and I actually reached a point where I was quite burned out on it. So when we moved to the West Coast, um, I transitioned out of sailmaking and, uh, and got into a manufacturing company with uh, – specialty and, and medical devices. Okay. All right. Interesting. I work in the medical field myself, so understand that a little bit as well. Um, so you you got up there. You have this uh, other boat at the time. Uh, and when, when did you guys get Totem? 2007. We bought her in uh, Alameda. Okay. And uh, uh, early that year and sailed her up the coast uh, in June. Okay, so that that was a little before you left. That was about a year before you actually left. That's that's right. Just uh, just about fourteen months before we left, and uh, and a lot of that time was put to uh, getting the boat ready, getting us ready, getting rid of the stuff that we owned. Uh, it was a busy time. Right. No, I I totally I understand that. Um, so when you guys took off. Did you you had a cruising kitty saved? Is is had you had you budgeted for that cruising kitty somehow? And I guess my question, um, my wife actually came up with a great question, which would basically be, um, what if if you were budgeting for that? How did you figure out what those numbers would be for um, however long you were planning on, or however long you were budgeting for? It's a really good question, but it's it's not, not one we'll actually have a very satisfactory answer for because in truth, <laughs> we were just trying to save as as much as we could, knowing that we were taking off with no real sense of when we would return. Um, where some cruisers go out more specifically with a sabbatical mindset, we were going with a more open-ended one. And it might have been only two years, and we kind of thought it would be around five, but we honestly had no idea. Um, we didn't think we had enough money to get through that whole time, and we were just going to take the leap and try to figure it out as we went. Wow, that's uh, courageous of you, uh, I'll say. <laughs> well, that's one word. That's a very <laughs> kind word for it. <laughs> Risk tolerance. <laughs> uh, financially foolish. Um, <laughs> crazy <laughs> no no uh, no thanks teddy <laughs> you're, you're welcome and, and very it's it is it's very courageous uh you you know you had three kids on board too and um just very courageous for you guys to go ahead out and do that i mean you guys had experience sailing and everything too so um so tell me a little bit about where you went so you went you know go ahead tell me about sailing you went down um 
you know, as far as I know, before you had to stop, you you got all the way over to Australia before you had to stop. Um, yeah, there's so much in between there, I know. Um, a lot so, of water in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, we began up in the Pacific Northwest and headed down the, the West Coast uh, with stops along the way. Uh, Oregon and California, great places. Uh, some of the islands, the uh, Channel Islands. Then we were uh, down in Mexico and spent about a year and a half there. Mm -hmm. uh, terrific stuff. We love the Sea of Cortez and the, uh, the the mainland coast further south. Just friendly people and amazing um, food. Great <laughs> food. Inexpensive cruising. Uh, terrific stuff. Then in 2010, we left uh, Puerto Vallarta area and sailed west to French Polynesia, to the Marquesas. Uh, we spent about three, three months in French Polynesia and the different island groups of Marquesas, Tuamotus, and the Society Islands. And that's, so that's really the first you know, country that you get to when you're crossing. And it was there in Tahiti, about you know, two-thirds of the way through French Polynesia, that we were looking at our bank account and saying, Okay, um, we need to make a plan because this isn't going to last that much longer. And we sat there and we drew out uh, uh, kind of lines on a chart and said, all right, where are the places that we can get jobs, where we can have uh, visas to work, where are the places where then there might actually be a job when we arrived um, and one that would allow us to continue living on the boat since that's less expensive in our kind of preferred mode at the same time as we refilled the cruising kitty. And we came up with Hawaii and Guam and New Zealand Marshall and Australia Islands. and the Marshalls and, and just kind of, yeah, looking at what was available online, Australia became sort of the obvious choice. And then that mapped out the rest of our South Pacific itinerary, which was essentially Australia or bust with lots of pretty Island stops along the way. Right. Now, Hawaii would have sort of been the wrong way, right? Yes and no. It's actually a really um, good uh, cyclone season exit from French Polynesia. Okay. You know, it's not it, it's it's not a short passage, and and it's a challenging one, but it's it's an option that a lot of people use, if, mm. especially if they want to come back to French Polynesia for another season before continuing west. But but uh, jobs were difficult to come by there, so, and the cost uh, of living is crazy. Yeah. and it turns yeah. out. It's also crazy in Australia as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but in Moorage and in Hawaii also very difficult. Right. So you guys hadn't been doing any work along the way uh, at all. Uh, you know, did you use any of your sail making skills or anything like that to make any money while you were in Mexico, Jamie, or anything uh, like that? I, I used a lot of skills, uh, sail making and rigging and electrical, but it was always just helping out somebody that needed a hand, so yeah. not for any money. Um, we did have a trickle of income through writing uh, some some uh, a column for a cruising magazine or boating magazine in the Pacific Northwest called Forty Eight North. Right, and um, it wasn't uh, it's not very much. We still do it and enjoy it, and it's um, it's it's a great connection back to our roots. But uh, but uh, just living off of savings and uh, it's beer money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> beer, beer and tip money, huh? Uh, yeah. All right. How, so how old were your kids? So your youngest was four. Um, and how old were your other right. two? So that, that all just had birthdays. Um, the month that we, that we took off, that we moved aboard, okay. they turned four, six and nine. Okay. 
So, yeah, Niall was a nine-year-old, Marin was six, and Siobhan was four. All right, great. And Niall is now 14? How old is he? 15. 15. He's 15. Wow. He's bigger than both of us. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so you started looking at your your savings and you said, okay, we need to go somewhere. And Australia was um, the best place for you to go. Now, um, you guys were young, spry, 25-year-olds and could get a, you know, easy two, you know, one of those two-year visas, <laughs> right? To, to work in Australia? Yeah, yeah not exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's a, it's a really good point that you bring up because I think there's a perception, and I don't want to inadvertently fuel it, that it might be easy to show up in a place like Australia or New Zealand and get a job and start working. But actually, the vetting process is not that simple. Um, in Australia, and New Zealand's not terribly different, you have to have a business-sponsored work visa. So a company has to pay money and stand up and say, I will vouch for this person and go through a costly process to sponsor you. And then at that point, you're, you have legal authority to work in the country, and the visa extends to the rest of the family. So you, get, you all get a kind of residential status at that point. But that was definitely not a given. Uh, what kind of tipped the scales in many ways in Australia's favor for us was that the company I'd worked for in Seattle had an office in Sydney and we had a very positive Skype interview when I was in Tahiti um, that uh, that left um, not an invitation but an open door and when we got there things uh, did come together and, and I spent 2011 working with them in Sydney. Okay, uh, so that's great. So the previous company that you were working for, did they go ahead and get you that visa? Did they go through that process to allow you to work in Australia? Right. So the business in, in okay. Sydney did, um, not specifically the folks back in Seattle, although the uh, right. the client I ended up working with actually was run by the vice president in Seattle who I'd worked with before, which was just a beautiful circle coming around again. Okay, gotcha. So the offshoot of this company that was based in Sydney, they actually uh, went through all that process for you. That's right. Okay. Correct. Because so, uh, I was wondering how you guys were able to, you know, get and find jobs over there and, and do it all legally um, and everything else. So did you go, you say you were, I'm sorry, I'm skipping around a little bit here, but yes. Yeah, oh, that's all right. Kind of, that's what editing's for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to edit a lot, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's just a normal conversation as things kind of pop in my head. Um, so uh, from so two thirds of the way, you say through the islands, you you needed to get to Australia. Did you just go straight to Australia? Um, no, no. Uh, in, in fact, French Polynesia is about only a third of the way across. Oh, so we, okay. we we had uh, another five or so months that were just magic going through uh, the Cook Islands and Tonga, Fiji, Vanuatu, New Caledonia, uh, before getting to, uh, to Coffs Harbor, Australia, and then the quick trip, quick trip down the East Australian current to Sydney. Uh, that, that's amazing. So you actually got to go and visit all those islands. Was, um, did you have to cut anything short just due to the fact that you were trying to make it to Australia quicker? No. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, we didn't. We sort of got to Australia at the end of the season, and the reality would have been, had we not been trying to get there to work, we might have said, "Well, maybe we'll go to New Zealand first, which is um, not quite as far west," and that would have been post hurricane season. The next season, we could have popped back up north and and spent longer um, a longer time in the South Pacific. 
But we were able to have a nice, fairly meandering path along the way to Australia at the same time. And the decision, as much as anything, is about the the, the sailing season, which uh, you need to be somewhere safe by early November. Right. Okay. Uh, So that's interesting. So by early November. So the seasons are a little bit different than... uh, uh, than over here in the Caribbean, anyway, it seems. Southern Hemisphere. Southern yeah, Hemisphere, right. right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we arrived in Australia in early November, and mm-hmm. we if we were going to Australia that year, job or no job or whatever, we would have had pretty much exactly the same timing to arrive in Australia. Okay. Uh, interesting. And that was all based on uh, cyclone season and everything else uh, for you guys yep. as well. Um, you had some long passages in there. Uh, you know, how did the kids handle the long passages? The kids did great. Uh, we, we, we set them up beforehand. We, we practiced things. We practiced uh, being clipped in and getting around the boat. And if it's rough, making sure you're always holding on to something. We practiced where fire extinguishers are and all the different bits. But we also um, really led them to believe it's going to be a long trip. So we would say before we left, okay, if we left today, let's, let's tick off each day until we think we would be there. So they got a sense of it. And, and the, 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 the great thing was that not once during the trip did they say, when are we going to be there? They just expected <laughs> it long ago. So they settled into a routine, and uh, which was some schoolwork, lots of reading, and then lots of art and doodling and, and just general observation. Uh, that's amazing. So it wasn't like a uh, car ride where they're just in the back saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. Not at all. No. Thank Not goodness for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Uh, well, they can move around, and there's a lot, lot more to do on Totem, I bet, than there is uh, strapped into a car. So. Well, uh, that's that's right. It's 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 the house. So you right. know, it's, you're you're on floating yeah. island, and it's just that you can't get off for a little while. All right. But that was a that was our 19 day passage to uh, Marquesas. Uh, most of the, most of the passages between the island groups for the rest of the Pacific crossing were three to, three to five. five days, three to five days. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's great. Uh, that's absolutely amazing guys. Uh, that, that, uh, I mean, just how well everything kind of worked out in your family and, and getting to share that time with them is, is just fantastic as well. So, um, it's priceless. Uh, yeah. Um, so you're in Australia. And you are uh, being, are you doing pretty much the same thing with the same job? Uh, Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, I am. I mean, in the same way on the surface, at least, although um, very different in other ways as far as working in a different country and and, uh, different types of uh, clients, different businesses. But but fundamentally, uh, the same work, which was nice to be able to slide into. I've been worried that I might not be able to do that after two and a half years of being out, especially in high tech. But the reality is that uh, the fundamentals are, are, uh, of marketing don't change, even if some of the tech does, and, and it really doesn't go as fast as we all think. Right, right. And Jamie, so this um, visa that you were able to get, being it, like you said, it transfers only over to the entire family. And Jamie, were you able to get a job as well on that same visa? Uh, sadly, no. I had a major work fail, which was that the, uh, the skills, for whatever they were, uh, did not 
did not equate to high demand in, in Australia. So there's plenty of people that do uh, technical boat stuff, sail making and rigging. And uh, my manufacturing background and operations experience um, wasn't, uh, wasn't in demand either. So I spent months and months and months looking for, for jobs, and I did not get a single callback. Interesting. Um, okay. Frustrating. Uh, yeah, frustrating. <laughs> really, really frustrating because he is so well qualified uh, for positions he was applying for and was just completely shut out. And then on the flip side, um, in digital media, that's, of course, uh, booming in Australia, and they were quite behind the states. And so my experience was much more valued there. Uh, and, and actually, at one point, I decided to change jobs because in Sydney, we could not put the kids in school. So I switched to a job that let us move up to the Queensland, um, and where, where in Queensland the kids were able on a four five seven visa to attend schools as if they were Aussie kids. In in, in Sydney they could have attended school, but it would have been about six thousand dollars per child plus wow. you buy the uniforms and the books. So it would have been twenty thousand plus for the kids to go to school. So it was all like private schools in Sydney. No, no, no. That's Public schools. That's, that's for access to public schools when you're not an Australian. Okay, that's interesting. And it, was was that just because of the visa that that you had? I it, why is it different uh, from one place to the other? I guess. Well, it's they handle it actually pretty much like the United States does, where education is regulated on a state level, okay. and so, for example, homeschooling requirements are are unique to each state, um, or they're they're made individually by state and. In Australia, every state or territory regulates education independently. So the way they handled it in New South Wales, where Sydney is, was entirely different than the way Queensland handled and, it. And even though Bian's job in New South Wales uh, paid the same taxes as regular Australian citizens, uh, we were still required to fork out a, a lot of money for the kids to go to school, which we couldn't afford. So. Um, so Actually, the private schools were cheaper. We looked into that as an option for a while, but the, the, the affordable private schools looked more like jails than schools. We couldn't do that. Yeah. So, so it, it turns out that uh, without me getting uh, meaningful work or any work, then I was able to uh, continue on with homeschooling the kids, and uh, we, had, we, had, we had fun. We made the, the best of it. Okay. So, well, uh, that sounds like something I'd do in a heartbeat too, Jamie. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny we're actually we're you know we've become fairly committed to homeschooling but we felt like we wanted the kids to take away an aussie experience and feel like they knew and could, would would always think back on this time that they were kind of australians for a little while and that was a lot harder to do as um relatively isolated american homeschoolers compared to being integrated into a local school but but they got the experience when we were in brisbane uh because again no no financial requirements other than books and uniforms but uh they were in schools there for about six months and and integrated well socialized academic Academically, they did great. Uh, there, there were a, a few areas where they were a little rough. Uh, one of our daughters just doesn't spell. She has my spelling gene. And, um, and then there were other areas where they were wildly ahead. So it sort of, yeah. it sort of shakes out in the wash. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. You know, one of the things I hear or, or um, I don't know, I guess, uh, w was it good for them? Were they able to get on any... You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know how to phrase this question, I guess. Um, 
question statement. Some people say, you know, homeschooling, does it give them the opportunity to go and, uh, you know, meet all those people and have those um, activities of like, you know, sports teams and, and things like that. Um, I think it's great that they were able to get that opportunity in Australia. And um, I guess what would you say about that to people um, about homeschooling all at the same time? I think that's, that's a classic perspective from someone who doesn't actually know or have any direct experience with homeschooling. Right. Um, it's more a function of being itinerant and traveling that makes it hard to do those things than actually homeschooling. But, but homeschooling also takes on many forms. And so for us, putting the children into school in, in uh, Brisbane was a way just for us to benchmark how are they doing? Are they socially awkward? Can they can they get back into it? And they did they did very well. Um, they played sports or sport as they say. Right. And uh, and and it was and it was a, a just a great experience. Um, for us though, cruising we do um, the children get to meet many people, and they, they the perception that that when you're off by yourself there isn't uh, socializing for the children it 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 can be true depending on where you are and what you're doing but we've not found that the kids um almost always have other cruising kids in the vicinity and it's it's just a very social uh, lifestyle yeah i'm i'm sure it uh I can only imagine that it just helps everybody at the marina meet everybody at the marina because the kids just uh, get off the boat and start running around and saying hello to everybody that's there. Oh, uh, the marina or the village or the island. Right. It's, you know, they're, they're great little ambassadors. <laughs> that, that, and that's and that's absolutely fantastic. Um, so you guys, were, and you were living on Totem the entire time that you were in Australia. Is this correct? That's correct. Okay. So as in the boat was in a marina or something, or two different marinas in two different we, places? We were basically? in Sydney. We were in a small uh, family ma marina. Uh, um, you're not supposed to live aboard in Sydney, but there are a few exceptions, and so we were able to make it work there. And then in, uh, in Brisbane, we were living uh, up the Brisbane River right in the heart of downtown uh, big city. And uh, so that was a, a fun and unique experience in and of itself uh, for, the, for the kids to go to school. They were, the girls were at one school and Nile was at uh, a different. Uh, they each had to take a ferry boat across the river and then a bus and then some walking to get to school. So good experience. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And then just go to, go to two different schools once they got over there, sort of? Did you, did you, so, That's right. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the girls were in an elementary school and, uh, and Niall went to, uh, uh, that was kind of a hybrid of a middle high school combination. Right. Okay. Uh, interesting. Um, and so you, were you budgeting? Uh, okay. So something that popped in my head was, I think I read something about the fact that over there, if you're boat is there for a certain amount of time you have to have some something done or what is that all about that's right uh th there's a requirement that has a large gray area of interpretation that when your boat is in australia for a length of time you may be required to import it into uh into australia which which is basically a tax based against the value of, of the boat. Uh, 
if you're if you're transient, just passing through Australia, you don't need to do that. If you work there but are leaving again, we we approached the, uh, the the tax people and and customs officials and asked the question, and we got different answers from everybody we asked. Obviously, we were hoping to to not have to uh, to pay that tax, right. and and that's what worked out for us. So, was your time in Australia sort of based off that time limit, or or something? No, else? because no, we we it was about um, making money for the cruising kitty with the idea that uh, um, put in a good work effort, enjoy the country and meet people and have a, have a great experience, but then move on and back into our cruising lifestyle. So we were there uh, about a year and a half. Okay. All right. Great. And so were you uh, actually budgeting this time around? Did you actually, you know, open up some sort of budget and say, this is what we need to do to go on our next uh or this is how much we want to have in our kitty in order to go on or set sail on our next journey to wherever it may be. Oh, Teddy, Teddy, you're going to think we're just terrible financial planners. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't terribly different than before. Actually, I wish I could say yes. And here's how we did it. And here's our spreadsheet. But the truth is that again, it was about just knowing every dime we spent is one we wouldn't have later for our cruising kitty and trying to live as frugally as we could we did at least have a much better sense of what our uh, costs were, what our what our expenses were like. Although even those can vary quite a bit from country to country, depending on formalities and the cost of living, and if you're able to anchor, or have to use marinas and things like that. So rather than a coherent financial plan, it was again save, 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 and then okay, this will you know we know this is enough to get us by for at least one to two years, so we're out of here. Okay. So, how long has it been since you've been gone? We uh, two years. See, we left about almost okay. to the day. Just yeah, just about yeah. two years ago, we left from Malulaba. All right, uh, that Bundaberg. that's great. Bundaberg, so. And uh, so you left from Bundaberg, okay? Bundaberg, yeah. and and sailed north to Papua New Guinea. Okay, um, and so you have been living off that cruising kitty ever since. Well, yes and no. I mean, we have, but at the same time, uh, the lesson that, of course, that we got was that uh, from our from our first kind of couple of years cruising is that this lifestyle works exceptionally well for us, and we need to find a, uh, a way to try to keep ourselves going between stops. We may well need to stop and work because there's perhaps a chance for more of a, a bolus of income at that point mm-hmm. uh, or that way. But the more trickle streams of income we can we can line up the longer we can stretch out the savings that we've got. And so uh, we've been working on different ways to try to build up those trickle streams and are, are having some success. Okay. Can I ask what those ways might be? Of course. <laughs> well, we sold one of our children. That helps. Yeah, the other, they're pretty cute. So... <laughs> Oh, uh, come on. I see the posts. They're all three of them are still there unless you had a fourth. Oh, it's true. <laughs> unless it's they, true. Unless you had it's a fourth true. that you were hiding somewhere that I don't know no, about. No, <laughs> we've, we've, uh, we've been working to expand our writing, and, and Bian's blog is uh, quite a following now, and it's syndicated on Sale Magazine. Uh, so that's that's been uh, good fun, and, and we get all these great interactions with people that ask questions, and it's fun. Which we um, love. I mean, it's so. If there, if there is some one thing that keeps me inspired writing. It's 
hearing from people with questions that, you know, they might, they might think they're crazy questions, but they're, they're not. We all have these, how do you do it questions. And I love so much to help encourage people to get out and do it by answering those questions as best I can. That's right. And so that, that's, that's a little bit, and uh, we still ride for 48 North and enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the last little bit I've, I've, um, done a, uh, a number of rigging and electrical jobs on other cruisers boats and, uh, and, and, um, some sail work as well. Right. So it sounds like you've started doing some of that for you. You started actually getting paid to do some of that anyway. That, that's right. It, uh, I, I enjoy these things. Uh, so I've often just helped people and people have helped us in the same way. It's, it's a nice community in that, in that regards. But, uh, but, um, our, our cruising kitty is very, very thin right now. It's, it's less of a kitty and more of a mouse, I guess. And, uh, uh, and so, um, people out here, uh, we're in Southeast Asia now and, and, um, most people here have, have crossed an ocean to get here. And so, you know, rig needs some work or needs inspection. And, and I do that and some tuning, um, sales get old and, the uh, UV damage and beaten up. And so I work with people to spec out new sales and, and, uh, and order sales. Uh, uh, I've done a lot of electrical work, uh, boats, um, sadly boats get struck by lightning here now and again, the Straits of Malacca is lightning alley. Right. And that was what really sort of segued us into this because there is kind of a cruiser code. You just help your fellow cruiser out when they need stuff. And Jamie has a lot of really valuable skills in that regard with his rigging and sail making and electrical work. And it was a friend of us who had been struck, who'd been struck by lightning who simply needed a lot of help. And he said, you know, I've got basically a month's worth of work and I want to hire you because I can't do this by myself. I have to get it done and I don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So Jamie went to work for him. And from that, it sort of almost became word of mouth, and he ended up working with a number of other boats in the area um, and selling sails in the same way as well. As uh, as he helped one boat and helped them get a great new sail, he's helped others. And, and then through the blog, we've had a couple of inquiries, and he's now got customers for sails in Australia and the Caribbean and the U.S. as well as local to us here in Southeast Asia. Well, that that's awesome. That's that's fantastic. And and you know, in the end, I I would hope it kind of works out both ways. Uh, you know, obviously talking to you and talking to Brian and Karen from Delos, even so far, the cruising community, in my opinion, is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, offering their time and helping people out for a few hours. But yeah, I mean, in the end, I would hope that. Yeah, anyway, if it were me anyway, I would say, hey, I, yeah, sure, I can come help you out for a few hours if there's something I can help you out with. And then if it were me and I said I have months worth, you know, several hours or, you know, a week's worth or two weeks worth of of um, of jobs that you can help me out with, I would hope that being that person, I would also say I'll pay you to help do those jobs because um, that's helping you out as well and helping you stay out here just as much as you're helping me stay out here. So, well, um, and, and that's, and that's right. And, and, uh, especially when it's more technical work, uh, there, there, there are people here that do this. Um, but it's, it, it's not that common. And, uh, so when you're on the far side of the world, it's, um, difficult to get good access to, to people mm-hmm. that have some skills. So, so people have been very, very, uh, um, 
generous in, in offering to pay. And it, I always get squeamish on and, and have a hard time asking or, or putting a price out there. But uh, people seem to just uh, offer up uh, Offer up a, a it, it ends up working for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, great. Uh, are there are there places that people uh, that you want to talk about that people can go to find you or like I know that uh, like Cell Feed. I know maybe it's just beer money, but if they read your stuff on Cell Feed, um, mm-hmm. you get some money <laughs> from there. Is there anything you we want do. to promote or ways to uh, find you guys for these things that would put a little bit of money in? your cruising kitty. Oh, thank you, Teddy. You know, r- right now at this point, our, our blog really is the hub. And, and yes, when people read posts on sale feed, um, they're, they're putting change in the hat for us and, um, all those, uh, tosses in the hat, uh, they, they definitely do add up. And, uh, as, as sale feed itself grows, we hope that can also grow for us in terms of the, the portion of trickle that it represents. Um, but you know, the, the blog is a center at this point and we're working on a, on a couple of ideas for how to try to expand it there. Um, so that Jamie can find a few more sale making customers in other corners of the world a little, um, and, uh, and maybe a few other ideas as well that we're percolating on. Uh, well, that's great. Um, okay. Uh, we've talked a little bit about money in your cruising kitty for a minute. So let's get back to sailing for a little while and, and your travels <laughs> for a few minutes. So you left Australia and went to Papua, Papua New Guinea, correct? Yes. Is that what it was spectacular. Said? Just amazing cruising ground. Um, and okay. So tell me about it, I guess. Why, why was it so amazing? Papua New Guinea is interesting because it really is uh, off limits uh, for most cruisers. And the reason is, is because the country gets painted as um, uh, a place where there's violent crime against um, Westerners and in particular cruisers. We're, we're, we're few and far between. But, and, and those things have happened uh, in some places. But um, it's wrong to paint the whole country with the one brush because um, there's sort of a pattern to where the bad places are, mm-hmm. uh, which is any areas of, of extraction industry, timber or mining, mining or things fishing. like that, yeah. where there's larger populations. And, and what it comes down to is when the traditional um, clan culture and hierarchy breaks down into uh, – Sort of more Western business um, sense, then uh, th- then the village culture doesn't have the same accountability, and so the local chief doesn't know when some somebody comes through and and they've got a bad streak. So we were able to to plot a course through Papua New Guinea uh, and and had an amazing experience through this window of time into an old way of lifestyle. Um, subsistence lifestyle uh, and meeting just incredible people along the way um, we would love to encourage more people to visit Papua New Guinea they're, they're phenomenally poor the government offers uh, little to nothing most most places we visited they didn't have any support whatsoever they, there was no there's no supply ship that goes there like is often the case in the Pacific Islands there, there are no utilities there's no water supply there's no electrical power grid there's no mobile phone network. 
there's there are no roads. There's just dusty footpaths. There, there wasn't a band-aid on an island, uh, and and so people would come up to us with infections and things. Uh, but it was uh, wonderful people and, a, and and just a great experience. And so they were living out there really self-sustained like they were able to gather their own water and they that, were and they live off of rainwater on these small islands and they they have gardens and they they fish and that's how they they live um there's there's no economy in most of these islands to speak of uh which is quite an interesting lesson for us there had been there had been uh, a trade in uh, copra but copra prices have fallen off uh which is a product of of uh, coconut and uh, and so there's it costs them more to get the copra product to the big towns to sell than it does to than the money they can make than the money it. they make it. There was a betch de mer, which is sea cucumbers, were harvested for uh, Asian food markets, and uh, unfortunately they were over harvested, and so there's been a ban on fishing them, which which we're which we're happy for that they can have a chance to come back, but. Um, there's just so little chance for any any uh, income. These people still trade with uh, beads, uh, shells for money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a very old way of life and uh, fascinating to see. Yeah, that, that would be fascinating. Uh, that's uh, just absolutely amazing. Um, and your kids got to meet all these people as well and, and sharing oh, that God, experience yeah. is what's fantastic. We, we, we met... Uh, more people in three months in Papua New Guinea than we did in uh, probably all the rest of our cruising combined. Uh, we would often have uh, times 20 and 30 and 40 people on the boat. We were we were like a spaceship that descended into this place. And uh, every port, we'd have three or four kids staring down below, looking into the spaceship. Um, everything was a trading culture. When we first arrived, people wanted to, to trade, and they would show up with uh, some tomatoes or pumpkin or whatever they could produce locally and would look to trade flour or sugar and salt or a t-shirt or some fishing gear. Um, uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what a, it sounds like it would be a great learning experience for your kids as well. Um, I mean, just, just to learn the way that your kids have learned, uh, just seems fantastic. Uh, they probably know a lot more about the world than I do at this point in time. So. Well, we, we think it's given them a great sense of their place in the world and, um, and a and sense of context that they are citizens of the world and not of, um, a nice picket fence hometown. Right. And uh, that's, that's just fantastic. Um, so where'd you go from Papua New Guinea? Papua New Guinea, we, uh, we went over the top and then we traveled West into, uh, Indonesia. Okay. And, uh, also a spectacular place. It's the largest Islamic country in the world, but it's so culturally diverse from region to region. Um, and, uh, it's hard to generalize about it. Every island is—it's like it's a kaleidoscope of cultures and languages. You know, in Borneo, we saw we saw Kalimantan, which is the Bornean part of um, Indonesia. We saw orangutans and and one type of uh, culture with the indigenous Dayak people, and then we moved down to different areas. We saw Komodo dragons and uh, Hindu parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Just just fascinating. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I'm I'm just in awe at the moment of everything that, that you're uh, describing and uh, the things that you guys have been able to see and do. Um, we feel so fortunate and, and truly cruising in Southeast Asia and or at least in PNG and Indonesia in particular were were such terrific experiences. So completely otherworldly and um, and different and and a constant shift in culture too from what we'd experienced with more Polynesian culture in the Pacific into Melanesian and then Asian culture. It has been a great education for all of us. Right. Um, and where are you now? We're currently in Malaysia. We're in peninsular Malaysia okay. uh, as opposed to the, the Borneo side. And we're about, well, we're most of the way up, um, getting closer to Thailand. Um, we'll be here for about another month, and then we will hop over into Thailand and haul out Totem for a little bit of work on the hard um, as we gear up to cross the Indian Ocean next year. Okay. Uh, how long ago, Totem, how long ago was it that Totem was hauled out the last time? We actually hauled just a year ago right. um, to put new bottom paint on. But before that, it had been five years, okay. so it was due. Yeah. Um, this time, we're coming out less because, for the bottom and more because the shipyard we went to last year, we were impressed with the, uh, the breadth uh, and depth of skill that they had. So we're going to go back and kind of cherry pick a few more projects for them to do for us. Okay, yeah, I, I read. So this is the same place where you did the bottom paint and the through hulls and things like that? Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah, I, I read about that. And so, um, all right, great. So you're going to make a trip back there, but just because you enjoy what they can do for the boat. Well, and they, they, they have a full machine shop. They have different services right in the yard. and uh, They've got carpenters and they've got welders. and So so the plan is we're going to drop the rudder, um, look at the skag, some of the, some of the structural underbits. The rudder is the weakest part of any boat, and we want to make sure that's all in sound condition. In one of the boats crossing the Indian Ocean this year, a, a Malo, a really great mm -hmm. boat, um, um, the rudder more or less fell off, and they ended up having to abandon abandon ship. It sank north of Madagascar. Yeah, I think I read about that actually recently. Probably we've had it on our Facebook page not too long ago. Right? Yeah, it might have been from you guys actually, and I read that whole story. Um, and so you guys plan on crossing the Indian Ocean next year? That's right. So we'll take off early in the year from probably from Langkawi, so the island at the north end of the Malay Peninsula, okay. and head west to through the Andaman Islands to Sri Lanka, spend a month or so in Sri Lanka, and then west to the Maldives, work our way south for a few months through Maldives to Chagos, which is a major cruising bucket list destination. Mm -hmm. um, enjoy enjoy Chagos, and then, and then we're thinking Seychelles. It's been something we've had to keep an eye on uh, because that is an area which had uh, piracy sufficient to make it unsafe uh, within the last few years. But this year, last year, uh, it seems to be fine. So we'll continue to watch that, hopefully go to Seychelles and then down to Madagascar, probably Mayotte, Comoros um, as well before landing in South Africa. Again, totally driven by the seasons. Right. So we'll anticipate arriving in Africa around October which is when you need to get out of those waters. Okay. Um, wow, that 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 sounds uh, wow amazing. Um, you guys tend you guys tend to stay connected pretty well uh, while you're out there. Can you tell me a little bit about how you do that? 
Sure. Um, yeah, it took me about a year to stop twitching once we left home and I didn't have always on internet access. That was really difficult. And that was, that was in 2008. <laughs> um, right. what we do to stay connected has evolved. Uh, currently it generally means getting a local SIM card for the broadband network. Uh, the mobile phone network is so ubiquitous in Southeast Asia that there's hardly anywhere coastally that you don't have a signal. Um, so that's been a very um, easy way to go about it. And then many places, especially where there's more of a population, um, there's also Wi-Fi available. That's what we're using right here. Um, if we still had an antenna a booster on board, we'd probably have been able to pick up the signal from our boat instead of coming up to the marina office. Mm-hmm. Um, but in so so near shore, that's generally how we stay connected. Offshore, at this point, we are totally radio based. We do have an Iridium handheld on board, but Satellite data costs are so high that it's not something we've been able to contemplate turning on. We look at it as a backup safety device uh, for the Indian Ocean crossing as opposed to a real part of our communications um, options. Right. From what I heard, that's uh, how a lot of people do it, actually. So are you guys actually in a marina right now? As in, I know you're in a marina office right now. Uh, is Is Totem in a slip somewhere right now for a little bit? She she is, and we're we're going to enjoy the last bits because this is the last one we'll be in until we get to Africa more okay. than a year from now, <laughs> which is weird to think about. Wow! <laughs> but wow. then in, in Africa or in South Africa, um, most most harbors do not offer safe anchoring. It sounds like when we get there, it'll be a marina hop around. Okay. So something to budget for um but in the meantime at least it'll be a whole lot of free anchoring between here and there right but it sounds like you guys have been in a marina for a little while we've we've had a stretch now we're normally anchored out uh but the last say two and a half months uh we've mostly been in uh, marinas because we had some ongoing engine problems that uh that kept us there unfortunately uh, we, we had planned to leave in June, head back to Borneo, mm-hmm. and then up to the Philippines. Um, but w- we had to service the engine just before then, a 5,000-hour big full service, and uh, it led to uh, uh, a bigger problem, uh, unfortunately, that's, that's now resolved, but it, but it kept us uh, glued to the dock. Right. I read a little bit about that. I'm glad you got your engine problems fixed. Um, Fingers crossed. We we've just done about uh, <laughs> 350 miles, hopping up the Malaysian coast, and all has gone well. Right. Yeah. Has it been a lot of motoring where you're at? It is. It is. Unfortunately, Southeast Asia, the winds are fickle or um, uh, a little bit volatile in the um, in the southwest monsoon season that we're at now. Lots of squalls and and the wind comes usually it's in the wrong direction so it's always in the wrong direction we where we love the sailing and uh across the pacific uh and in some areas in mexico have great sailing as well but uh southeast asia has been few and far between in the sailing events and that's just what happens close to the equator so we're really looking forward to some trade wind sailing in the indian ocean uh yeah yeah finally getting those sails up and being able to sail a little bit uh more sounds uh sounds we, we do they they still uh they still see some sunlight now with uh <laughs> mostly we're motor sailing because uh cut down the fuel consumption and all but uh um very lo- much looking forward to heading west right um 
Okay, just a few more questions. Um, what would you tell people about the safety and the risks of living on a boat and sailing with your family? That well, your land life is so dangerous, you need to get on a boat. <laughs> you that, get that, off those highways <laughs> that, and be I out was, in the big blue. That's what I was hoping to hear. Yep. <laughs> yeah. it, there are certainly risks with this lifestyle, uh, but... I think that if you take precautions and you're, you're educated about safety and procedures uh, and you know your boat and you, you keep up with the maintenance on the boat, uh, those risks are really um, mitigated to a point. Uh, and I think that uh, most people driving down the, the highway or on a Friday night somewhere in a city have higher risks than we do uh, most of the time. Uh, if not all of the time, but it's really hard to equate one against the other. And uh, so we, we do take safety seriously and uh, it's easy to become complacent after a while and sort of forget having the kids practice this or practice that. And um, now that we're setting up for the Indian ocean, we're, we're, uh, we're doing those things. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, I get in the car every single day, well, almost every single day to, uh, um, to go to work. And, uh, that's probably, um, riskier than being on a boat most of the time. So, um, let's see a couple other questions that I had here that I don't know if we've gotten to, uh, what do you think that you spend the most money on while sailing? insurance. Yeah. Number one is insurance. I know. Um, I actually had, I keep track of our expenses um, better than I do our, our forward looking budgeting, Teddy, just so you don't think we're completely lost financially. (laughs) I think you're doing Um, a great job if you've been able to be out there for as many years as you have and everything's going on. So, uh, to each their own. Uh, it's true. But the way it breaks down is that on a per month basis, we average about 600 a month between health and boat insurance. I mean, that's sort of amortizing them over the whole year, mm-hmm. but uh, we do fully insure the boat and we do carry catastrophic health insurance with medevac and things like that. Um, groceries are second to that. And that's with a family of five. Um, and those kids eat, I'll tell you, they're yeah. not, you know, <laughs> they're not just nibbling on crackers here in Southeast Asia. Food is relatively cheap. That is our next highest expense per month at about five hundred dollars, and then it rapidly drops off after that. Yeah, that's what's amazing about what you guys are doing is you're not only doing it for you know just the two of you and everybody that gets on board is you know chipping in or anything. You actually have five people on your boat that you uh, have to make sure have sustenance and uh, and can survive and everything else. So. Um, and it keep growing. <laughs> yeah. And the bigger they get, the more they eat, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then and then the shoes don't fit, and the they you know the rash guards get burned out. I don't wear shoes. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's easier for Jamie. <laughs> but we just keep it simple. I mean, we pretty much all have a pair of flip flops, and um, some of us have a backup. But that's you know, it's a it's a it's a very different looking closet than the one in our old house. Right. And it sounds like, um, you know, depending on where you are, things can be more or less expensive as well. Correct. They, they do very widely. Uh, Papua New Guinea, there was, there was nothing to buy. So 
expenses there were terrific. Mm -hmm. Southeast Asia food is, yeah, let's be said, quite inexpensive and, uh, uh, and eating out is more affordable. So in the South Pacific, um, most of the South Pacific, it was unaffordable for us to eat off the boat. Um, and that's fine. We love to cook. No problem. But it is nice to experience a culture that way. And in Malaysia, the food um, in restaurants, I mean, we can have a dinner out for the whole family and stuff ourselves for about $15. Um, that's great. <laughs> Actually, we could do it for half that. <laughs> we, we can. Um, and, um, and it's a really fun way to be able to experience Malaysia in a way that we'll remember. Uh, that That's fantastic. Um, well, we've been on the phone for about an hour now, and I just want to say thank you guys uh, very, very much. Uh, safe travels. Um, did you get your uh, anchor chain, your road, and, and your um, anchor galvanized? It's it's off at the galvanizers uh, as we speak, probably having a nice acid bath right now. Okay. Well, that's one reason, I guess. Okay. Now, I'm putting two and two together now. You would probably uh, have to be in a slip at a marina in order to be having your anchor and uh, chain galvanized, huh? It, it, it does help, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pick up and delivery. Right. It, was, it was an incentive. Right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, Teddy, thank you. Thank you for reaching out to us. We're really happy to share our story. I know you've stayed up really late tonight to be able to have this conversation at a time that was um, uh, sane at our end. And, and we do appreciate that as well. Oh, it's it's fine. Thank you guys very, very much for taking the time and the effort. And, um, you know, it's been an it's been an hour in the morning away from your kids and not exploring. And so thank you guys very much. Uh, again, I just want to say um you guys are an inspiration and um and thank you thank you for taking the time to talk and explain and answer all of these questions um you know hopefully we can inspire some more people to uh get out there and go sailing and uh maybe eventually myself you know maybe in, <laughs> do it do it absolutely <laughs> and teddy we're counting on you you're gonna have to give us some financial educations uh on budgeting uh, here so <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to talk more about trickle income later. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm uh, I'm I'm an engineer, so I, I I love my Excel worksheets. You know what I mean? I and love so. Excel. <laughs> <laughs> I get routing, provisioning, but uh, expenses. Yeah, I'm an Excel geek. I know. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yes. Yeah, as, as soon okay. as we as soon as we decide to uh, scale down and everything else, it might take us a few years as well. You know, we're sort of on that hopefully sort of on that same plan as well where it's uh you know maybe it's four to five years and we get a boat and get on it and figure out its systems let it figure out yeah, us yeah the, uh, the most important thing the most important thing is you need to pick a date because yeah. otherwise it just keeps rolling ahead further and further okay. so so you're start saying with picking a year you're, you're saying we should pick a date is is what yeah. you're saying pick a, pick a year Pick a year and then and then back it out. For well, let's do that for you. Let's call it uh, what 2018. 2018. Okay. Teddy right. goes cruising. <laughs> All right, that sounds fantastic. Um, 2018, it is, and uh, then then we can have people follow follow um, my wife and I around the world. So that would be fantastic. Yeah, and it it, it really is. Um, a lot of people want to do this lifestyle, as you know, and. Um, uh, and it's really approachable, but you got to start with the date and and a little bit of a plan, and then and then it's changing your existing lifestyle as you ramp closer to actually casting off. You 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 
buy less, you live a little bit more independently, things like that. Small things, but they do help lead you into this. And, uh, and, if, and if Jamie's going with pick a date as the takeaway advice, I want to say it's you think you're living frugally, but you're not. Right. You have no idea how little you can live on until and, and kind of until you leave. And, and then I look at I look back at the money we spent in our last year when we thought we were so frugal. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we spent money on so many things we would never dream about spending money on now. It's and, and we don't feel like we're living without now. We, we're not deprived. We, we, we live, um, yeah, a, a life rich in experience, and, yeah. and uh, even though we have nothing in the bank, and you're you're just you just kind of figure out that oh, I didn't actually need those things. It sounds like right. And that's right. To to live a full, happy, wonderful, adventurous life. So. Um, that is great. Thank you guys for all of the advice and answering all of our questions. Any, anybody you want to say hi to again, one more time, any, anything you, um, you know, go to sailingtotem.com, visit you guys. (laughs) Um, you know, going to the blog is great. And I just want to let uh, folks know, I guess if you've got questions, ask us, um, we've got an ask the cruiser tab in the blog and we are more than happy to help people through those mental hurdles to following their dreams. Uh, will do everybody head on over there and ask questions is I guess all I have to say thank you guys again uh, I can't thank you enough uh, this is fantastic and I have so much fun um, and I had so much fun talking to you that honestly staying up as late as it is which isn't super late for me um, but staying up as late as it is um, no big deal because I just loved having this conversation so thank you for your time once again uh, go say hello to your kids and, and explore a little bit Will do. Thanks, Thanks to you, Teddy. and that was a pleasure. See you in an Anchorage someday. Thank, thank you. I hope so. So it seems as if the word of episode two of the Sail Loot podcast was fantastic. Maybe I'll put together a stream of outtakes with me saying awesome and fantastic. Okay, I digress. Once again, I want to thank Jamie and Bean for taking time away from their kids to share their sailing stories with us and share how they make some sailing money to fill their cruising kitty. I also want to thank everybody for listening and all of the Sail Loot community for encouraging us to keep putting these together. Uh, You can get in touch with Jamie, Bean, and the Totem crew at SailingTotem.com. You can ask them questions, and I'm sure that they will find a way to answer those questions for you. You can ask for Jamie's sailmaking and sail evaluation expertise. He can sell you sails, and if you're in their area and in need of some electrical work, be sure to get in touch with them and help them keep their cruising kitty topped up. You can also read their articles at sailfeed.com and check out the 48 North Sailing Magazine. If you liked this episode of of the Sail Loot Podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. You can also go ahead and listen to all of the past episodes and also listen to the future episodes as they're released. Again, you can get all of the links about things that were mentioned in this episode of the Sail Loot Podcast at sailloot.com forward slash episode 002 come check out the website leave us some comments and ask any questions that you want you can also find all of us on facebook jamie and bean can be found at facebook.com forward slash sailing totem and sail loot can be found at facebook.com forward slash sail loot uh, sail loot is also on twitter with the handle at 
Sail Loot. Thanks again for listening. I hope that all of you can find a way to find your Sail Loot. I've got a few ideas about how to make that happen if you want to ask me about them. I hope to meet all of you out on the water, uh, live frugally, pick a date, and live a life rich in experiences is what it seems like we should take away from this conversation. Uh, Fair winds and following seas.